And it is time for Thursday Finance on 2NURFM with thanks to our sponsor, Pritchard and Partners. Stephen Pritchard, um, the dollar seems to have been going down mostly, but suddenly it's kicked up again. Yeah, I mean, it's basically due to international factors. And, and what's what's kind of happened is the Reserve Bank came out earlier this week and said that they're not going to um, change interest rates. And, and the Australian interest rates are, are quite high compared to the rest of the world. I mean, in, in, in Japan, the central banks uh, now got a negative interest rate. Um, that means you pay them. You pay them to, to keep your money, them. yes. And in Switzerland, it's been negative for some time. So um, for an overseas investor, um, the, the Australian um, interest um, interest rate environment is quite attractive. Um, and the only risk is the is the uh, fall in uh, the Australian dollar, which is the currency risk. So um, obviously with the with the rates not going down, um, people are reassessing whether Australia is a safe place to invest some of their money. And, uh, so they're thinking it is? They're thinking it is because if interest rates do fall, you can expect the A dollar to, uh, to, to fall as well. Okay. So, uh, researchers, the research houses are still saying that they're going to expect the dollar to fall over the next year. Mm, they're still saying it, but still at, saying the moment it's at the moment it's okay an opportunity to buy some currency for all you people jet-setting overseas. <laughs> There's a nice thought. Yes. <laughs> Treat ourselves to a holiday. Treat yourselves to a holiday before the dollar goes down. And spend all the money that we're going to um, be able to make after today's program. No That's doubt. right, Jane. <laughs> yes. So, so uh, what's happening? So, so the uh, gold price was down 2% on the week. I mean, the gold price in Australian dollars is, is almost at a, a, a record high. I mean, if it keeps going... Um, the way it has been, it won't be long before it gets to an all-time high. I mean, basically why it's down in Australian dollar terms this week was because the A-dollar went up. So that's had a bit of an adverse effect on both the gold and the silver price in A-dollar terms. Um, so the silver price was down 3% on the week. Um, the industrial minerals, uh, the industrial metals rather, were up. Um, copper was up um, 2% to $6,558, which is, you know, from, you know, that's generally seen as a lead indicator of economic activity. And, and it, it has been in the doldrums for some time. So, you know, 2% is not much, but it's a, you know, it's a step in the right direction. Um, nickel, the nickel price was up um, 2% to $12,058 a tonne, but it's, it's still lower than where it was at the beginning of the year. And nickels are, are one of the big uses of nickels in um, stainless steel, which is used in a lot of manufacturing and all your kitchen appliances these days seem to be stainless steel fridges and mm. microwaves. And so that, that, that's the indicator of consumption. Um, the currencies, as we've spoken about before, the currencies, um, the, the, the dollar was up up um, 1% or you know, half a percent on the week to 72 um, cents last night. And I think this morning it's up a bit more to around 73 cents. Um, the Great British Pound, we're, we were down against the Great British Pound at 51 pence. And the Euro, we were up 2% to 67 Euro cents. So, um, you know, all those people heading overseas is, you know, to think about buying some currency to take to spend. Well, um, the dollar's still up. Yeah, mm. the dollar's up. Um, the the world the world indices, um, the equity indexes, uh, they were all in the black for the week. I mean, the ordinaries, which we're going to talk about a bit later, is back over five thousand points. It was five thousand and eighty-three points yesterday, and I think it was up forty-two points this morning. Um, so, so we're up. Um, almost 3% on the week. The US Dow market was up 2.5% on the week to 16,899. Um, the FTSE, which is the UK financial 
time stock exchange index um, was up 4% for the week to 6,147. And Hang Seng, which is the Chinese uh, Hong Kong Stock Exchange motor, that was up 4% of the week to 20,003 points. So all the markets uh, are, are um, basically all up last week and are all up on the beginning of the year. So that's... That's okay, so is it doing anything with oil prices? At oh, this well, stage? the oil price was up 10% on the week, Jane. So the oil price was up 10% to $47 a barrel. Um, and that that hasn't kind of been reflected in the... Uh, um, the uh, at the Bowser. At the Bowser. In Newcastle this morning, we're $1.05 a litre for unleaded. And in Sydney, we're $1.15. So we, we're actually 10 cents a litre cheaper than Sydney and you know two weeks ago or one week ago the Sydney price was below a dollar a litre so so it's you know mm. you're up 10 cents a litre in Sydney and of course the Easter break's coming up uh, mm. uh, is there any predictions on what the price of fuel will do before Easter Jay? I wonder if we'd get a selection of choices of yeah, answers. Do you think we should have a have a competition on that? Yeah we could, what would the prize be? Yeah, we'll give you a litre of petrol couldn't we? <laughs> uh, and the diesel price, the diesel price was $1.13 a litre in Newcastle which is which up 1% on the week and in Sydney $1.08 which was uh, you know up half a percent for the week so overall um, except the, the fuel prices are up except for Newcastle where we're down one cent so mm. that's good news. We should be down more, though. <laughs> yes. Nobody's listening, though, are they? No, no one's listening. <laughs> On 2 and URFM at 25 past 12. And Thursday Finance is the program with Stephen Pritchard. We're joined now for our market update with Henry Jennings from Marcus Today Financial Newsletter. Stephen. Hi, Henry. How's sunny Melbourne? Sunny Melbourne is wonderful, Stephen. How's uh, sunny Newcastle? It's, it's sunny up here, actually, which is good. It's good down here. It's, it's 29 degrees. The sun is out. Uh, it's Thursday, so it means that's un- Friday. That's unusual for Melbourne, isn't it? <laughs> well, you know what they say about Melbourne, four seasons in one day. Yeah, that's right. It's you always cold. Do anything this afternoon. It's either cold or boiling hot, whatever I've been there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, and so speaking of boiling, the uh, market seems to be uh, improving on the up and up, and the index is back over 5,000. Yeah. And I noticed uh, you wrote in your uh, market calls this morning that... Um, that uh, the big shorts turning into the big squeeze. Well, yeah, we had uh, we had Super Tuesday on uh, in the US with all their um, with all their preliminary uh, or their primaries with uh, with Donald Trump and Clinton, and Super Tuesday turned into turned into Big Wednesday for us, and the big short went to the big squeeze. So we've actually rallied what 160 points from around 4,900 to uh, 5,060 odd um, in the last three days. So it's been a very very strong performance. The banks and especially the resources, the big caps have really led this charge. Um, I think some of these overseas guys got very, very bearish about our market. And uh, we saw yesterday some very good GDP numbers as well, up uh, 3%, which was a bit of a shock. Um, Everyone was predicting the end of the world, and apparently the end of the world didn't happen. So um, a lot of people being uh, squeezed and forced to buy back their shorts. So, yeah, it's looking good. Uh, ASIC put out something today, or in the last couple of days, um, saying that the, um, the the short sales in the banks was equivalent now to what it was before the GFC or at the GFC level. Yeah, yeah, there was a report. Still's market confidence, don't they? they, they they're wonderful. Um, so yeah, there was a report in the Fin Review today suggesting that uh, the current short position in the bank sector was about eight billion dollars worth of shares, which is around three percent of the market cap of the banks 
Um, and although records weren't around in the GFC because these short uh, sort of reporting uh, regulations only go back to 2010, um, the anecdotal evidence from uh, from brokers and traders is that the, that the short position is a similar kind of level as it was in, in the GFC, which you would imagine is a little bit um, a little bit too negative, given that our banks do enjoy a, a nice uh, monopoly uh, in mm. Australia. They have pricing power. We've even seen Commonwealth Bank raise its rates again. To, well, not again. They're one of the, uh, the last to raise their rates, but the other banks have raised their rates um, on business lending. So, you know, we, we, even though the, uh, the average uh, man in the street is expecting the RBA to cut, and economists are, we've seen the banks using their pricing power to actually put up rates. The, the, the banks have been, you know, as, as you know, we've got a accounting firm as well, and the banks have, yes. you know, have not been giving any breaks to businesses. The, the, you know, the, the, the rates never came down like home loans right. did, and they're putting them back up. Um, right. And I, I think it's because the business lobby isn't as powerful as the homeowners lobby, I suggest, and we can, you know, just squeeze yes. the small business people. And I think, you know, the, the competition for the home loan is, is quite extraordinary. You know, there's an awful lot of mortgage brokers out there and there's a lot of uh, regional banks and building societies and credit mm-hmm. unions. It, it is a very cutthroat environment. It's a very big business. So these guys compete very aggressively on uh, on price and service and, of course, how much they will lend. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it's a different matter when it comes to business lending, of course. Yeah, and then Goldman Sachs put out a, a little report saying that they forecast commodity prices continue to fall, and they made some comment, uh, and that's because the mining, the mine, the mining industry is unable to stop itself from digging. Yeah, so, so I thought that was a bit of fun. So, so what do you think they're saying there? That the, the well, I, I guess I mean the mining industry's just got lots and lots of big tonker toys, haven't they? I mean, yeah, they've got these play with trucks. Them and they've got big railways and all this sort of stuff. So it is very hard for them to stop digging. The important thing, I guess, for the miners themselves is that their um, they're cost-cutting and their cost of that digging um, is, uh, is, is coming down. And you've only got to look at the, the numbers from Fortescue, the numbers from BHP and Rio, to see that they've really made some massive inroads in cutting out costs in that business. Um, and the demand is still there. Iron ore has been one of the best-performing assets uh, on the market this uh, this year, it's still you know it's rallied back up to sort of fifty one, fifty two US dollars a ton, which is not too shabby. Uh, we've seen West Texas uh, rally back to uh, sort of thirty three, thirty four dollars a barrel. So you know this this call on commodities, um, although the you know these guys can't stop digging, there's a lot of the smaller ones that have not only stopped digging but have gone out of business. Um, or mothballed operations, yep. or um, you know, certainly cut back production. And the big guys are cutting back on capex and the amount of money they're committing to projects. So, although um, production is still going very well, um, certainly the efficiencies that these companies are getting is is, is quite extraordinary as well. Mm. You, you wonder if all these efficiencies can now be pulled out. How much the companies would really have made during the boom times? Well, that's that's the problem. Is it? And you, you and I both know that during boom mm. times everyone's fat and happy and doesn't really look at costs and mm. you know, everyone goes on uh, extravagant conferences and parties and you know you have chocolate biscuits and those sorts of yeah. things and as, and as soon as the bad times come the biscuits are cancelled the conferences are cancelled the seminars are cancelled people are back living in dodgy dongers in the middle of nowhere again um, and uh, costs get taken out very quickly so um, the good thing for the, these big miners and even the smaller miners that can hang on is that as long as commodity prices do recover, which they do seem to be recovering slightly um, at the moment as the US dollar strength kind of dissipates a little bit, 
um, they're highly leveraged to these commodity prices. So the, uh, the benefit will flow straight through to the bottom line. Mm. And speaking of benefits to the bottom line, the Asian buyers now seem to be taking the whip, 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 with the whip hand in the uh, negotiations for LNG contracts because um, because we, you know a number of companies in Australia have built these big LNG plants up at um, Gladstone and can't sell the uh, LNG for the price they want, and the Asian buyers are now trying to push the prices down. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think this is a little bit of uh, a concern, I guess. Um, you know, the, these guys like Santos and Origin, etc., have built these massive LNG plants, and of course they've got willing customers at the other ends, and the prices have been spectacular when they made the decisions to actually build them. But in the meantime, the oil prices collapsed, and they're kind of, um, they've still got good contracts going out um, to some of these guys. But the fact that the end consumers are starting to get together to uh, actually dictate to the producers um, the prices is somewhat worrying. I guess it's a bit like um, OPEC in some respects, um, just for uh, for LNG. So um, it is a little bit worrying considering the amount of money that has been poured uh, into this sector. And, of course, you know, the government coffers are relying on income in years to come from, uh, from LNG prices. So any kind of um, move by the, the, the end uh, companies mm. that actually consume to limit price rises and renegotiate contracts, etc., is going to be um, interesting. Yeah, not good news for shareholders of Santos and Origin, I would have thought. Well, I mean, they, they, I have to say they're probably used to bad news. Yeah, they're used to that. Um, they, they've Numbed by it. They've had plenty of bad news uh, this year, so um, you know, I think the oil price recovering from 26 to 34 has been been some good news for them. So uh, at least at the moment, there's a bit of a window where where these share prices, these energy stocks, are moving ahead. And you know, maybe these um, end consumers won't have the same pricing power as uh, as they think they can have when they collude. And we might we might uh, come back in a minute and talk about um, what's the latest development down at uh, Slater and Gordon. Ooh, oh, we yes. got. Are we really going to go there, Stephen? I'll just say briefly. (laughs) Thursday Finance and Stephen Pritchard, Market Update with Henry Jennings. Stephen's awake now. (laughs) Thanks, Jane. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, so just the one comment I was going to make on Slater and Gordon, it seems to be saying, uh, I saw this week, that um, the, the losses this week are greater than the profits the firm's ever made. Um, they they're actually the money they wrote off um, is three times more than the, the profit they've made since they listed. Ah, oh, well, that's still a huge so I think amount. They've made about three hundred and fifteen million bucks as a listed company, and they wrote off uh, just around nine hundred million dollars in uh, in this acquisition that they did in the UK of Quindell, which looks um, spectacularly awful mm-hmm. um, at the moment. Um, I have to say, and. You would imagine that um, heads should and would roll at um, Slater and Gordon, but it appears the board can't, couldn't find anybody else that's that's good enough to um, or or knows enough to uh, to run the company if they got rid of uh, got rid of uh, Andrew Grech. Oh, I'm sure you and I, Henry, could only lose seven hundred million, not eh? <sighs> you know, I, I find it beggars belief, doesn't it, that you go and make an acquisition which, at the time, the company said was changing yeah, well, well, they certainly they've certainly they certainly kept to their word in that respect because they've gone from an eight dollar company to a 33 cent company written off nearly a billion dollars out of the 1.3 they paid for this business uh, plus they're not doing too well in Australia so 
um, the question of survival does tend to crop up now in the same breath as Slater and Gordon. So um, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be volatile. It's going to be fun to watch. And I think uh, for shareholders, um, get in touch with your local lawyer and go for your class action because mm-hmm. it has been um, pretty disgusting and, and pretty badly handled, I think, by the company. So one of that other class action lawyer isn't gearing up. Anyhow. I think Morris Blackburn yeah. is, uh, is very much sharp and his pencil signed yes. up a whole heap of people that are going to um, yeah. go for the jugular with, uh, with slaughter and go down, as I call it. Yes, them well, they've got problems. Isn't that ex-Prime Minister used to work there? Um, yes, she did. I think there was an awful lot of uh, Labour uh, Labour people that used to work for Slater and Gordon. I think she worked there before they made some spectacular errors. Mm. And so the change in, uh, there's been some changes in the media laws and that there's talk that that could lead to consolidation, like Fairfax merging with Nine and Ten merging with News. And, and is that likely to happen, you think? I think it is likely to happen. I just I wrote a big piece today in, uh, in, the, in the Marcus Today newsletter saying, um, talking about media reforms and, and um, the the media laws were written back in the days of uh, of um, Mr. Hawke and Mr. Keating and of course um, for those uh, listeners that, are, that, are, that can remember those days, those halcyon days um, we didn't have the internet then so everything has kind of changed and we have this massive uh, diversity of content that we can get now so it is about time that we did uh, see some change in the laws. There will be lots of mergers and there will be lots of deals being done. I'd imagine the corporate lawyers will be kept busy burning candles at both ends and I'd imagine that the uh, investment banks will be doing uh, doing a good job and advice. The problem is a lot of these media companies don't have actually, actually have a lot of money um, to spend on these acquisitions so it may be that although it's good for the sector to consolidate um, it may mean there is some capital being raised in, at times um, and also I think ultimately the poor old consumer of media will will probably suffer as, as we see this consolidation and you might get you know, bits of 10 being carved out. There's talk of Fairfax and 7 merging and then they might, might carve out the, the digital side of things. So I think the poor old consumer of media um, will see diversity um, contract yeah. um, as the ownership of these assets because let's face it, the only person that can really afford to buy them is, um, is Rupert Charles Foster Kane Murdoch. Um, and, um, you know, he's, um, he's the guy that will probably be in the box seat to buy up a load of more Australian assets now, given that um, these, these changes are coming in. Yeah, and, and so you, you mentioned you wrote a piece in Marcus today, so, so our listeners can get a two-week free subscription yep. to that. And if you go to marcustoday.com.au, they can sign up for a, a free two-week subscription and they can read all the, all the wonderful stuff. That and, and, and they can yeah. read you every day instead of just listening to you with me once a week. Day and, and, right. and one subscriber today said that my uh, end-of-day report was a work of art and it was the best around. So there you go. So, there you go. I believe that. I believe that. But I enjoy writing it. That's good. And um, the, we're starting to run out of time here, I think. But anyway, we'll quickly go on to... Um, the weaker dairy prices of uh, affecting Murray Goldman's forecast. So, uh, yep. you know, that was all great fanfare when that thing listed and, and it was going to provide access to the dairy industry, which was all going to boom. And So what's happened now? Well, I, I guess, I mean, milk, like most commodities in the world, is just... It's just a commodity. There's nothing special about it. Um, and there's a lot of production um, coming out of New Zealand. It's their biggest export. And there's a lot of competition for milk and milk powder. And prices as a result have collapsed. Where the big money's being made is 
with these guys like the A2 milk or the uh, or the Bellamy's that are actually value adding to the product, a bit like uh, we do with iron ore. We export a raw product. Somebody else turns it into something gorgeous uh, and expensive, and we buy it back and build houses or whatever refrigerators with it. Yep. Um, it's the same with same with milk. Um, the smart guys add, um, you know, their magic, um, their marketing, uh, and their logistical ability to ship this stuff. Charge a big price, and they reap the rewards. Whereas the actual underlying commodity, um, it's 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 a tough game. There's a lot of it around. Um, you know, having cows around and milking them is not rocket science. We've been doing it for uh, for millennia. Um, so you know, it's at the moment it's the money is in the value adding to this this basic commodity. Mm. And then super retail group results weren't so super. No, they, they were one of the ones that did uh, did suffer a little bit. They had some issues in one of their businesses, um, and we saw sort of during the reporting season that if you if you disappoint, um, you know, you really do get smashed uh, very hard. And, and we saw it with uh, a number of companies that uh, mm. that really did disappoint. And Super Retail went from sort of ten bucks to uh, eight dollars very very quickly, uh, which is where they kind of started their run back. Uh, Mm. until September 2015 mm. and they've sort of clawed their way back yep. up to nine bucks and they might claw their way back up again but uh, yep. retail, retailing's a hard game that's very difficult okay thanks for that Henry thanks and we'll have a great week and I'll talk same to you, to you. Thursday. bye Henry our market snapshot with Henry Jennings um, who is senior commentator with Marcus Today Financial Newsletter Thursday Finance and Stephen Pritchard with us now, if you've got a question you'd like to put to Stephen, then the number to catch us on is 49216216 to get your question through to Stephen. Something to do, of course, maybe with your personal investment, taxation or the stock market. And in the meantime, Stephen, we're going to talk about keeping records. Now, it is important, isn't it, to keep records? It's very important and become very expensive if you don't keep them. That's a good reason. For a number of reasons. So now, that, let's look at why. Yeah, so, so why it become expensive. Well, there's very... There's various time limits for keeping um, for keeping records right. um, for various types of records. Now, the easiest way I always say, if you're not sure, keep them for seven years. Right. Right. But um, uh, for income tax records, you generally need to keep those for five years after the date you lodged your tax return. Yes. Now, of course, a complication with that is for um, um, when you've sold uh, an asset, you need to keep records for five years after you've sold the asset. So it's no good if you buy something and then you throw the contract note away because it's five years old. It has to be five years after you've sold it. So so there's all sorts of complications in respect to this. So, like, so the reason for that is I suppose you need to know all the figures of buying yeah, and selling. That's so right. That so you need the, the, the tax return. Be... Yeah, the tax return's got to be, um, yeah, if you buy the five-year rule, it's, it's five years after you lodge the tax return and then the sale goes on the tax return. So if you buy some shares this year and uh, another one next year, you don't just throw them away. No, that's that's right. And, and particularly the big the big issue with shares and managed managed uh, investment schemes is uh, is if you've got a dividend reinvestment plan, and you know you're reinvesting that every um, you know twice a year, and in ten years' time you've got um, twenty pieces of paper. And if you've thrown all those away, it's going to cost you a my uh, absolute. The register's going to charge you a significant amount of money to reproduce all those documents. Right. So it's quite easy. You just get a folder, file all your DRP statements or your investment statements, and they need to be kept for five years after you sold them. 
Uh, now, I generally say that, as a rule of thumb, keep everything for seven years. Um, seven super, years some superannuation, self-managed superannuation uh, trustees um, should be aware that you need to keep some of the superannuation fund records for actually 10 years. 10 years? 10 years is special legislation for super funds. Yeah. Um, so they, you know, various resolutions by the trustees and, and, and declarations by the members um, uh, they all need to be kept, and, and reports given to members, they all need to be kept for 10 years. So I That's think. That's if you have a self managed fund? A self managed superannuation fund, yeah. Okay. So, but, but, but I think the easiest solution to this, because it's all too hard, I find it all too hard to remember which records you have to keep for which amount of time, and you're bound to get it wrong, is that all the personal records you should keep for seven years. And um, the reason the seven years comes about is if it's, it's a court matter. If someone's going to take legal action against you, they have to actually file the, the statement of claim within six, within six years, within one year of the six years occurring. <laughs> So, okay. so, so that's where the seven years comes from. So I always reckon keep all your records for seven years because then and, – and it's after you sell the assets in respect to the sale of assets. And for superannuation, self-managed superannuation funds, you need to keep them for 10 years because then you don't have to work out which ones you can keep for five and which ones yeah. – and then, then for company records, you also need to keep those for seven years. So generally, it seems like a good idea just to take the highest number and keep everything for that yeah, length of time. Yeah. So everything except so super fund keep for seven. A self-managed super fund you need to keep for ten. Now there are there are quite severe penalties on on failure to keep records. I mean, the Income Tax Act provides penalties for failure to keep records. Um, the Companies Act provides um, failure to keep records, and the superannuation, uh, the superannuation industry superannuation. Penalties are actually quite severe and in certain cases can um, involve uh, putting you in prison for oh. failure to keep records. Mm, so, yeah. so, so it's very important to keep, um, to keep these records um, so we don't have any problems down the track. And it's not that difficult. I mean, really, you, you, know, you just need to get a folder and put them in and, and just put them in year by year or however you... Well, I suppose it's a good idea to keep things in some kind of order so you can find them back again. And do you think chronologically is a good way of doing uh, it? It depends what it depends what type of records. I mean, if you if you if you if you're buying shares, I'd, I'd file them all the share records together um, under that particular share. under that particular share. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. no use filing them with the, the tax return. So you need to have a bit of sense in what and on how you actually the order you actually keep them. Um, if it's just in relation to you, and you're not going to have a look at those records for any particular reason um just file them in in chronological order if 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 it's records that you're going to need on a continuing basis or you know you're going to need down further down the track you should file them in a record type order so do many people keep a share by a share say 20 30 years ago and just hang on to it all the time yeah yeah we've got those Yes, yeah. so that happens. In that case, you've you've got your records. Yeah, I've filed got an estate I pieced together. I've got an estate I pieced yeah. together. They bought the shares in yeah. nineteen eighty nine or something. We just pieced that together recently. And uh, and apart from it wasn't that hard. Apart from the CBA, because they'd had they'd kept most of the records. Um, but the CBA was a DRP, and we had to go back to the register and get the register to turn up various copies of the DRP. Yeah. Unfortunately the register had them. Mm. Um, it would have been an even bigger job if we didn't. So yeah, they but, used to do that but, for but nothing, but they don't now do that. <laughs> well no 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 it still cost a, it still cost the per the, the client a couple of thousand dollars which they wouldn't have had to pay if they'd have kept the records. That's worth bearing that's right. in mind. And that's a Thursday finance for today. Thank you, Stephen Pritchard. We'll be back again next Thursday. We'll be back. 
after the midday news on to NURFM.